Um, I've, I've mentioned uh, a couple of books I want to mention again. Um, by the way, the, the bookstore is, uh, is back in full swing. It's, where's Sue Young? Sue here somewhere? I saw her. There she is. Sue, Sue is doing a fantastic job with our bookstore. Uh, she's taking care of the inventory for us. But we've got lots of new books in there. Go check it out. Uh, I mentioned this book, I think, two or three weeks ago. Um, it's called What About Evil? A Defense of God's Sovereign Glory. It's, a, it's the best book out there besides the book of Job on the problem of evil. Um, it's kind of expensive. $42. bucks. we will take $10 off. $32. Uh, it's, a, it's a really beautifully written book. Uh, very, very helpful on that topic of, of evil and suffering. Um, and this next book uh, I read about a month ago by Eric Metaxas is called Is Atheism Dead? How many of you have grabbed this book, read this book yet? A couple of you have, okay? Uh, very, very good book. Um, I'm going to mention a book this morning by Stephen Meyer called The Return of the God Hypothesis. How many of you have read that book? Stephen Meyer, Return of the God Hypothesis? Okay. Only one person. It's a New York Times bestseller right now. Th this is actually a very similar book, but it's much less technical. Um, so they're both really good, but this one is just a fantastic book that deals with a lot of science and faith issues, um, and it's very well written. So these are both in the bookstore. Um, check them out. Well, let me, let me pray, and then we'll jump into this morning's topic. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of uh, gathering this morning. Father, we pray that this time would be a, a time of encouragement. Uh, I, Lord, I pray that this lesson would build faith in all of us. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have given us so many reasons to believe that Christianity is reasonable and true. And I pray that these lectures on science and faith would further strengthen um, our resolve to believe that the Bible is trustworthy and true and that Christianity is reasonable and reliable. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me, let me briefly talk about where we've been. Uh, we've been doing an apologetic series now for, I don't know, probably 20, 25 weeks. And we spent uh, the first several weeks, first probably 20 weeks, um, talking about um, a positive case for Christian theism, and we talked about, uh, I think, six different arguments for Christianity's truthfulness. Um, who wants to list all six? Beth Ann. Well, maybe I have six and you have five. We actually didn't cover the ontological, but that, that is one of them. I guess that counts. Maybe, maybe that's seven. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. How many was that? <laughs> Five. Okay, uh, you're, you're missing one. I'll, I'll give you a hint. What, what about the Bible? Yes. Beth Ann, I predict you'll get this answer right. 
Prophecy. There we go. Okay, good job, Beth Ann. All right. I, I, need, I need a runner to, to run these cards. Who wants to give this to Beth Ann? Thank you, Brian. Okay, good job, Beth Ann. Okay, so um, cosmological, um, teleological, the moral argument, um, the argument from the resurrection, uh, the supernatural nature of Scripture that is fulfilled prophecy. And then we talked a lot about different experiences that we've all had that are hard to explain apart from a theistic worldview. Um, experiencing, seeing uh, exorcisms, uh, learning about answers to prayer, uh, things like that. And then Beth Ann also mentioned the ontological argument, which we did not go into. Uh, that one is probably the most philosophically obtuse. Um, who knows that argument? Can anyone state it for us? Uh, the ontological argument? Go ahead. Um, no. Terry. That's the, that's the, the cosmological. Yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't cover this one. I, I don't know if any of you have had philosophy or... It, it has to do with, with um, the, the perfection of God's being. God is the most perfect being that can be conceived. Have you heard this before? Okay, Brian, do you know what it is? Uh, it's a little different, but that, that's a good one, too. That makes it like seven or eight. That's bonus points for you, Brian. <laughs> Anyways, we didn't, we didn't cover that one because I don't, it's a little controversial. I don't find it super compelling. Some people do. It was developed by St. Anselm um, uh, back in the 11th century, but I digress. So we, we, we put forward five to six to seven um, arguments for God's existence, arguments for Christian theism, and then we begin to talk about the most common objections to Christianity. And the most common objection by far is the problem of evil, and we spent uh, at least two weeks on that. And then the next most common objection, in my experience, um, is this idea uh, that science has made Christianity irrelevant. So we're going to spend several weeks talking about this particular issue of science and faith. Well, by way of introduction, there have been some very, very long wars in the history of warfare. Uh, there was the Thirty Years' War, there was the Hundred Years' War, but what was the longest war according to most historians? Anyone want to take a stab at it? Any history buffs out there? What was the longest war in the history of warfare? Anyone know? I'll give you a hint. It was 781 years long. Anyone know? If you know, you get two gift cards. No. The Iberian War. The Iberian War. 781 years. Although, others argue there have been even longer wars. In particular, some people argue that the longest war in the history of warfare is the war between science and faith that goes back to what historical figure? Nope. Galileo. Who said it? Galileo. Okay, many people think that this war supposedly started with Galileo's epic battle 
with the Catholic Church. According to this popular narrative, Galileo was a fearless scientist, and the church was his evil, oppressive enemy. And according to many, this war is still raging. And how often have we seen or heard the following on YouTube or the radio or television where you have a debate between science and faith? And in one corner, you have the scientist who has several advanced degrees in biology and chemistry from Cambridge or Oxford or Princeton, and he's written several bestsellers, and he's articulate, he's well-dressed, he's got a sport coat on and a nice bow tie. And the other corner is the person representing faith, and that person has 15 kids, lives by a swamp, thinks Oprah is the Antichrist, and has no advanced degrees. Who's going to win that debate? <laughs> That's the common caricature. David Barash at the University of Washington recently wrote an op-ed for the New York Times, and he described the talk he gives every year to his freshman biology students at the University of Washington. Uh, and this is what he writes. He says this, as evolutionary science has progressed, the available space for religious belief has narrowed. Science has undermined belief in an omnipotent and omnibenevolent God. In the opening pages of The Atheist Guide to Reality, philosopher Alex Rosenberg declares, there's so much more to atheism than its knockdown arguments that there is no God. There's the whole rest of the worldview that comes along with atheism. It's, demand, it's a demanding, rigorous, breathtaking grip on reality, one that has been vindicated beyond reasonable doubt. It's called science. So what's he saying here? He's basically saying that science necessarily leads to rigorous thought and atheism. Well, maybe you don't read David Buresh or Alex Rosenberg, but I bet most of you have seen the film Nacho Libre. Who's seen Nacho Libre? Don't be afraid. I know we're in church. Don't be afraid, okay? So there's a scene in Nacho Libre where Nacho, the main character, tries to sneak up behind Esqueleto and baptize him by surprise. And what does Esqueleto say? What does he say? I don't believe in God. I believe in science. So what's the, what's the presupposition there? That clearly science and Christianity are at odds with each other. So the message from culture is very, very clear. If you love science, you must be an atheist. Science and faith are clearly opposites. You can't be an intelligent person and believe in the God of the Bible. Many people state that they stopped believing in the Christian worldview when they discovered science, either in high school or college, chemistry or biology or geology. Now, according to many, the war between science and faith has been raging, again, for hundreds of years, and there has never been a truce. But is this narrative historically accurate? And the answer is a resounding no, not even close. I often tell people that I believe in Christianity because of science, not despite science. That is, all the latest findings in science point directly towards Christianity, not away from it. We'll spend lots of time talking about those discoveries in the weeks to come. 
Um, and Stephen Meyer's superb new book that I, I previously mentioned, The Return of the God Hypothesis. Again, how many of you have read that book? Okay, a couple of you have, okay. Did you guys like it? Okay, it's very, very good. Um, he argues that science and faith, that the science and faith narrative is utterly false. Um, but he's not the only one who thinks this, who debunks this popular narrative. Uh, this narrative has, has been debunked for decades by the world's premier historians of science. For instance, uh, Dr. Colin Russell, who was the president of the British Society for the History of Science and a distinguished professor in the history of science, argues that the notion of a deep, long-lasting conflict between science and faith is the product of late 19th century revisionist history. The two books came out at the end of the 19th century written by atheists who put forward some very, very revised, manipulated history to argue that science and faith are at odds with each other. Uh, and these textbooks, again, were filled with highly revisionist accounts um, of science and Christianity. Now, the new atheists have simply regurgitated uh, this revisionist history. By the way, when I say new atheists, who am I referring to? There's four of them. If you can name all four of them, you get a free Bruce Bros gift card. Although, maybe you shouldn't be able to name all four of them. <laughs> but if you can, who are they? What are their names? Okay, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. But the, one person's got to do all four. I'm not going to give gift cards to everybody. Okay, so... so. Okay, like not one of you got all four of them, but all, I heard all four of them. Okay, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, what's that? Well, maybe. The, the books are worth reading because you need to know what's out there. But if you read those books, you have to read other books as well. So um, Richard Dawkins, who is a professor of biology, I think, at Oxford, or maybe Cambridge. Sam Harris. Christopher Hitchens is dead. He's now definitely a theist. Um, and then Daniel Dennett is another guy. I think he's a philosopher. And these guys, they're, they're called the Four Horsemen of the New Atheists. In the last decade or two, they've written a slew of bestsellers um, deb debunking uh, Christianity. Um, and th these, these four atheists uh, totally uh, imbibe this whole revisionist story about this conflict between science and faith that goes back to Galileo. And I want to argue, again, that nothing is further from the truth. Uh, Christians have always loved science, and science points us clearly to the claims of Christianity. So science and faith are not enemies. The real enemies are Christianity and scientism, which I'll talk a lot more about as these lectures unfold. Right now is the best time ever in world history. And I, I make that statement very, very carefully. It's the best time ever to be a Christian who loves science. Because the more we discover about chemistry and biology um, and astronomy, the more we have evidence to believe that what the Bible says is true. So all the cutting-edge science points us directly towards the claims of Christianity, not away from it. And again, I'll go into those claims in much more detail in the next couple of weeks. Again, many people are recognizing the fact that science and faith have been friends, not enemies. Um, and this, this really, 
uh, is stated in Stephen Meyer's title. The, the title of his book is The Return of the God Hypothesis. And he's arguing that for a long, long time, again, Christianity and science have been friends, but in very recent history, they've been enemies, at least based on the common narrative. But he's arguing that now, as science moves forward, there's more and more evidence to go back to the idea that God is the one who made everything. So again, if you haven't read that book, uh, it's, it's a little technical, but it's very, very good. And again, this book by Eric Metaxas is, is a less technical version, essentially, of the same book. This is called Is Atheism Dead? Uh, and they're both superb. All right. So with all that said, um, over the next few weeks, um, I'm going to cover five topics, and we'll kind of see how, how far we get each week. Uh, five topics. So one, the nature of science. Uh, two, the creation of science. Three, the pioneers of science. Four, the discoveries of science. And five, the stubbornness of scientism. Now, that's, that'll take us probably three weeks, and then I've got three more weeks of lectures on evolution and Christianity. So we're going to spend probably five to six weeks on this really important topic. But I want to lay some, some groundwork this morning and next week to, to give us a prop, some proper reference points for even having this conversation about science and faith. So this morning, first point, we're going to look at the nature of science. And we must begin this whole discussion thinking about definitions. What is science and what is faith? Again, according to many people in our culture, science has to do with facts, with reality, and faith has to do with fairy tales, wishes, and dreams. In another way, uh, one scholar says this, science is based on truth and evidence, while faith is based on a hopeful thinking and legend. Science is a search for objective evidence that leads humanity forward, while faith looks back to ancient teachings, outmoded holy books, and irrational conclusions in the face of overwhelming evidence otherwise. For many in our culture, faith is merely wishful thinking. How many of you are Seahawk fans out there? Okay. I'm sure you've all heard the incredibly sad news that Russell Wilson has been traded to the Denver Broncos. When I heard that news, it was like one of my friends had died. And I thought, Pastor John, give me some grief counseling. Like, I'm struggling. So basically, next year is going to be a massive rebuilding year, the next couple of years, for the Seahawks. Okay? So in our culture, if I were to say, I have faith the Seahawks will win the Super Bowl next year, is that based in reality or is that wishful thinking? That's wishful thinking. If they win next year, I'll give you all $100. It's not going to happen. If they do, I'll go broke. <laughs> but, but most people think of faith that way. It's, I hope these things come true. I hope this happens. But there's no evidence at all to believe that what I'm saying will actually happen. That's how most people think of faith. But that is not the biblical view of faith. Uh, back to our culture's view of faith. Richard Dawkins, one of the four atheists, says this, <clears throat> faith is like a mental illness, a great cop-out, the excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Sam Harris, another one of the four atheists, says this, 
These guys do not pull punches. Sam Harris says this, we have names for people who have many beliefs for which there is no rational justification. When their beliefs are extremely common, we call them religious. Otherwise, they're likely to be called mad, delusional, or psychotic. So Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins both uh, don't have lots of great things to say about faith. The, the dichotomy is very clear. Science is about thinking, evidence, and rational justification, while Christianity and faith in general are about evading evidence and clinging to non-rationality. But there are two massive problems with this, with this misunderstanding of science and faith. What are, what are some of the problems with this caricature of science and faith? What do you guys think? Problems. Problems with this. Okay, good. Troy? Bingo. Okay, did you guys hear what Troy said? Okay, both science and faith are religious, and both science and Christianity are based on faith. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment here. Okay, so first, um, science and Christianity, science and faith, are both um, rooted in evidence. So both groups are believing certain things based on evidence. <clears throat> like so many others, again, I believe in the truthfulness of Christianity because of the evidence, not because I lack evidence. Now, there's this misconception out there <clears throat> held by some well-meaning Christians that we should just believe things despite the evidence. This is called fideism, and we are not fideists, okay? We believe what we believe because there's evidence for it. It is rational and reasonable to believe in the truth claims of Christianity. So we are opposed to fideism. Um, we believe that Christianity is reasonable and rooted in evidence. Again, I often tell people, I believe that Christianity is true because of science, not despite science. And we'll go over some of those findings in science later. Good scientists are always willing to go wherever the evidence leads. And the evidence leads towards Christianity. Second problem, um, science and Christianity are both based on faith. Both camps believe things, they have faith in things based on evidence. And, and often, scientists have no evidence, but they still believe certain things. And I'll give you several examples of this. Scientists make faith commitments all the time with very little evidence. Most scientists believe in some notion of truth, beauty, goodness, and right and wrong, but these things cannot be proven with a test tube, with a scientific method. For years, scientists believed in atoms and molecules, even though no one had ever seen one with the naked eye until, do you guys know when? This first happened? This, this boggled my mind. When, was, when, when did the first person see with the naked eye um, a molecule? Anyone know what year that was? When? Very recent. When? 2009. This, this is from Eric Metaxas' book. Um, and the atom, four years ago, 2018. 
Yet for years, decades, everyone believed in molecules and atoms, but they couldn't see them. These things were taken on faith. Some scientists believe, <laughs> this one boggles my mind, that the universe came into existence out of nothing. As I've mentioned many, many times uh, in this class, Big Bang cosmology teaches that before the universe existed, there was nothing, no time, no space, no matter. And nothing is the thing that rocks think about. Nothing is no thing. And Einstein proved this with his theory of general relativity, that again, there was nothing before the creation of the universe, yet many scientists <laughs> now teach that nothing created everything. Does that make any sense to you? If that makes sense to you, raise your hand. Okay? Yet scientists believe that when there is zero evidence for it. Now, as Christians, um, that's actually a really good argument for God because God dwells outside of time and space and matter. Therefore, he created all things out of nothing. Genesis 1.1. Listen to what one scientist says about this. This is Quentin Smith from Western Michigan University. <laughs> he says, the most reasonable belief is that we came from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing. That's utter nonsense. That's, that's a faith statement, not based on evidence whatsoever. Along these lines, um, actually, I'm going to skip this super long quote. Um, we'll skip that one. Um, We'll, we'll go more into some of the Big Bang stuff a little bit later in the series. Um, some scientists uh, try to get around. We, we, we talked about, uh, it was in the spring, the teleological argument for God's existence. Uh, that's simply the argument that there is design in the universe. And one of those um, design arguments talks about the universe's fine-tuning. There are over 200 conditions that must be in place for there to be life on planet Earth. And the odds of all that coming into existence um, out of nothing is astronomically small. Um, as a result, by the way, um, Eric Bataxis wrote an article on this in the, in the Wall Street Journal like four or five years ago. And that article is the most popular article in the history of the Wall Street Journal. It's, it's like two pages long. You should go read it. It's fantastic. He basically argues that the universe's fine-tuning is incredible evidence for God's existence. So to get away from the implications of the fine-tuning argument, people are postulating this idea called the multiverse idea. What's the multiverse theory? Anyone know? Yes, Luke. Right. Did you guys hear Luke? <laughs> I, I heard you. <laughs> Say, nice and loud. The idea that there are an infinite number of universes where all of the physical and cosmological constants are like different, and we live in the one where we are able to Yeah, we just happen to live in the one out of the billions of universes where those conditions are all in place. Let me ask you a question. Is there any evidence for that whatsoever? No. That's absolutely based on faith, and, and a really, really bad notion of faith. That's just wishful thinking. There's zero evidence for that, and that's called science. 
So again, the point I'm making here is that scientists also are making these incredible faith commitments with very little evidence, which I think is, again, that's a bad twisting of the idea of faith. Here's another example. Um, so some scientists believe that the information stored in DNA um, happened to get there by chance. Now, th this is also incredibly mind-boggling because there is enough information stored in the, the DNA of a microscopic organism to fill 1,000 sets of Encyclopedia Britannica, okay? So think of 1,000 sets of encyclopedias, all that information. And each letter in DNA, the four letters are A, T, C, and G, those four letters are arranged perfectly like a sentence and paragraphs. Okay, and if one of those is out of order, you're going to have a negative mutation. And so you have massive amounts of specified complexity, specified information in DNA, organized like a massive, again, 10,000 sets of encyclopedias. And for that to come into existence by mere chance is totally nonsensical. And because there's so much evidence here for a designer... People like Richard Dawkins are trying to get away from the implications, so they've developed a theory to get away from this called, anyone know? Pan, panspermia. What's panspermia? Yes. Right, or an alien. So that, that word literally means um, Seeds everywhere, panspermia, or sperm everywhere. So the idea is that um, somehow, um, again, to avoid the implications of intelligent design on planet Earth, somehow, either in like a crystal or an alien, uh, life got here from somewhere else to seed the first life on planet Earth. And again, where is the evidence for that? Where is it? It doesn't exist. So again, the point I'm making here is that these scientists are operating on just as much faith, if not more, than Christians. So to accuse us of making these leaps into the dark is hypocrisy. Yes. It does. Exactly. Exactly. Right, yeah. It doesn't solve any problems, does it? Yeah. But it's just this, <laughs> this idea that has, again, there's no evidence anywhere for this idea. Um, next example. Um, some scientists believe uh, that all living things evolved from one single-celled organism, even though there is zero evidence for this in paleontology. If evolution was true, you would expect to see literally thousands, if not millions, of transitional species in the fossil record, wouldn't you? Science is based on observation, isn't it? If evolution is true, we should observe in the fossil record literally thousands, if not millions, of transitional forms that were preserved in the fossil record. 
But there's no evidence for this. Even the famous Stephen Jay Gould. Stephen Jay Gould was a professor of paleontology at Harvard, uh, one of the 20th century's greatest paleontologists, and not a Christian. Uh, he was an evolutionist. And <laughs> here's, here's what he says. This is a, a very, very amazing um, statement by him based on his worldview. He says this. The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology. That evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have da data only at the tips and nose of their branches, and the rest is inference. And I have several quotes I'll read later from other paleontologists basically saying the same thing. There's no evidence in paleontology for evolution. It doesn't exist. In fact, the opposite exists. How many of you have heard of the Cambrian explosion? Okay, the Cambrian explosion shows that at one level, that the Cambrian level in the fossil record, everything basically comes into existence at the same time. And I'll talk about that in much more detail when we critique evolution in several weeks. Um, so again, there's no evidence for evolution in the fossil record, yet millions of scientists believe in evolution despite the evidence. And this is the one place where evolutionists should have massive amounts of evidence. It does not exist. And I'll, I'll, I'll go through all the, I'll go through Lucy and Piltdown Man and all the supposed evidence that's been put forward in the past. And most of that stuff is either a hoax or it's wishful thinking. And I'll cover that in much more detail uh, in a couple of weeks. Next example. Many scientists believe that there is no life after death, even though they have no evidence for this claim. <laughs> How would you have evidence for this claim? You gotta die first and come back to life. But most scientists believe that there's no life after death, but there's zero evidence for making this claim. Um, next example, Carl Sagan. Have you, have you heard of Carl Sagan? Um, probably, what is it, was it in the, the 80s, 70s or 80s, when he had his, his really famous show called Cosmos? How many of you watched that? Okay, if you're older, you probably watched that, okay. Uh, Carl Sagan was a great popularizer of evolutionary theory. And he, he made this famous statement in the opening lines of that show. Um, the cosmos is all that ever is or ever was or ever will be. Really? How does he know that for sure? He, knows now. <laughs> he, he, he does know now. Has he been to every corner of the universe? Of course not. Has he been outside the cosmos? Of course not. That statement is, is totally based on faith with no evidence. He was making a faith statement. Norman Geisler has a really good book I've recommended several times called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And the title really says it all. Um, he makes the point that the less evidence you have, the more faith is required for your position. And he argues that there really is so little evidence for atheism that it requires more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. So let me move on and say this. Some scientists readily admit that they believe things despite the evidence. Harvard University biologist Richard Lewontin says this. 
outside of the community, he says this, this community has a prior commitment to materialism. What's materialism, by the way? What's materialism? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there's no spiritual realm. All that exists are, is, are material things. So he says, um, this community has a commitment to materialism. Uh, it is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept the material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes. We cannot allow a divine foot in the door. So he's basically saying that before we come to any of the evidence, we've already pre-committed ourselves to not believing in God. So he's not willing to go where the evidence leads because of his prior commitments to materialism. And materialism is a faith commitment. Bottom line, the secular worldview of scientific materialism and Christianity are both belief systems based on faith. Neither groups can avoid living by faith. Both groups look at evidence and believe or disbelieve based on the evidence. Philip Johnson, who wrote Darwin on Trial, says this, one who claims to be a skeptic of one set of beliefs is actually a true believer in another set of beliefs, which is so true. We all believe certain things based on evidence. The important question is simply this, how much evidence is there for one's belief? And again, think about the worldview of the atheist. The atheist believes that the universe came into existence out of nothing. Wow, that requires a lot of faith. And they believe that everything, that all living things on planet Earth have evolved from one single-celled organism, which again requires a tremendous amount of faith, especially in light of the fact that there is zero evidence for that anywhere in the fossil record. And furthermore, uh, most, most atheists believe in some sense of right or wrong, even though there is no evidence for that apart from a Christian worldview. So it takes, I would argue, more faith to be an atheist than to be a theist. Let me summarize and apply. The worlds of science and Christianity are both based on faith. Neither worldview can avoid faith. Christians believe certain things based on evidence. Scientists believe certain things also based on evidence. Both groups operate with and rely on faith. Therefore, there's no contradiction between science and faith. Now, with all that said, I don't like talking about this or framing this whole discussion as a discussion between science and faith. Why? Yes, Luke. Right. However, really what people generally call science is just another religion, kind of like you're saying. Yeah. Based on the scientific method and materialism. Right. And because it's called science, people think it is more scientific. But really, right. it's, not, it's not pure science. Right. Anything beyond, hey, this is, what, this is what shows this. Any, any conclusions you make from that is a worldview. Right, 
Right. So really right. It's the worldview of scientism versus the worldview of Christianity. So it's not science versus Christianity, it's scientism versus Christianity. And scientism uh, is based in a materialistic worldview, secular humanistic worldview. Okay, so why else don't I like that, the phrase science and faith? It's a false dilemma. Talk more about that, Brian. Well, if you, if you, by, by putting these two terms against each other, yeah. what's not being said is that um, there's assumptions that go into that. Right. And uh, we need to go behind that and before it and say, what is science in the first place? Right. What can it speak to? Yeah. Rather than putting it on um, that same kind of, kind of a, a either or. Right. Right. Yeah, by, by even saying we're going to talk about science and faith, you're assuming, you're implying that they're two different things. You have science based on facts and evidence and faith based on wishful thinking. Which is dangerous because I think for a lot of young Christians, yeah. you know, I care a lot about young people and how they're forming their faith. If we learn to just take the definition as the world gives it, right. it's going to be because of the assumptions that are actually hidden in that. So we need to kind of open the box. Right, yeah. So, so again, um, science is based on faith, and Christians love science. So to say science and faith is a false dichotomy. But th those are the terms that we've been given, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use them a little bit longer. But I, I, don't, I don't like that false dichotomy. Um, because the scientists want us to believe that there is, that science and faith are different. Um, but again, both sides agree that we should only believe certain things based on evidence. Uh, J.P. Moreland, who was a philosopher at Biola for a long time, uh, he has a, a, a little book that came out a couple years ago where, again, he talks about the difference between science and scientism. Uh, what is science? He says science are systems of knowledge of the physical or material world based on facts obtained through observation and the scientific method. This is good and right, and as Christians, we should love science in that sense because uh, science reveals to us the ways of God, and we obtain information from nature through observation and the scientific method. But scientism, on the other hand, um, is the view that the hard sciences alone have the intellectual authority to give us knowledge of our world and knowledge of reality. But scientism is a philosophy or a worldview, just like Christianity is. So again, no contradiction between science and Christianity, but there is between scientism and Christianity. So it's scientism, not science, that's at war with Christianity. The Christian worldview has much more evidence for its truth claims than the worldview of scientism. And Christians have never seen a contradiction between science and faith going all the way back to the early church. In fact, I'm going to argue in the coming weeks that some of the greatest scientists in the history of science have been passionately committed to the Christian faith, not just in the past, but also uh, in the present. And that brings us to uh, the second subject. But I, I want to pause before we get into that. So first I talked about the nature of science, and the next issue is the origin of science. But any questions so far on the nature of science and defining terms? Any questions so far? Yes, Anne. Do you think you'll get the 
That's the next point. <laughs> yes, Brian. Right. Yes, that's a good point. Am I still on? Yeah. Am I still on? How's that? Okay. Yeah, so great clarification. So I, I, was, I was using faith in that sense pejoratively. So basically, if you define the faith, faith the way that scientists define faith, they have way more of that kind of faith than Christians do. Does that make sense? Yeah, that helps a lot. Yeah, that's, that's a good clarification. Yeah, so as, as a Christian, I would say we shouldn't believe anything unless there's evidence for it. And when you, when you read through the New Testament, constantly the apostles are appealing back to the resurrection as evidence for Christianity's truthfulness. So if you read the sermons in the book of Acts, if you read the letters of Paul, they're, they're never ever saying just believe. They're saying no, believe because it's reasonable. Believe because Jesus Christ rose from the grave and there are eyewitnesses who saw that happen. So again, the, the Christian definition of faith is we believe things because there's evidence for those things. And, and the, the, your, your clarification is a good one. I, I was using faith in a pejorative sense, the way scientists use it. Which I think that makes things, that's a lot better. It yeah. helps me a lot. Yeah. But again, if Adam is in the garden and God says to him, Adam, I'm the creator, I have set these things up in a certain way, yeah. this tree is not good for you, these trees are. Right. Yes. Believes God. Yeah. Not necessarily based on a thorough observation and examination of whether God is true. Well, he was talking to God face to face. That's pretty good evidence. <laughs> I, I'm not sure about the definition of evidence here. Maybe that's my problem. Um, but I don't want to quibble. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I just, I think it's, you're, you're pointing us in a really, really helpful direction. Yeah. Yeah. And the observable universe, which is the handiwork of this majestic God. Right. And they belong together. And what God's put together, let man not separate. Right. And so while science would seek to peel off the evidence from our faith claims, yeah. which we stubbornly refuse to let go of, right. uh, I want to make sure that we're not peeling off the faith from our evidence. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's interesting how in Romans chapter 1, what, it, what does Paul appeal to there? He says that everyone knows God exists based on what? The creation of the world. What, what argument is that? Cosmological argument. Paul is saying, when you look around all of humanity, you see stuff, trees, planets, galaxies, solar systems. Um, and in light of that, you, the, the logical conclusion is God made all of this. 
Nothing comes from nothing. There's something when there should be nothing, therefore God exists. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. So the, the, the Bible does seem to be uh, constantly pushing us towards evidence. Um, Would you say the creation calls us to faith? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's what Paul's saying in Romans 1. Like, look around you. <laughs> There's something, not nothing. It's, it's reasonable to believe that God is real and that God exists. Yes, Mark. Talked about what? Morality. Morality, yeah. Where you can't have morality without a moral giver. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if, if evolution is true, and the chemicals in our brains are totally random, there's no order to them at all, then how in the world can I trust what you're saying is true? Like, how, how can we even have a conversation? So, if, if they're, th th this is getting into what's called presuppositional apologetics, that's the idea that God is the starting point for any conversation about God. Because if there is no God, we can't even have a rational conversation. Because of what you said, if we're just if we just evolved, then we're just chemicals in motion, and everything's random, and there's like the whole universe is random. Then I, I can't trust my own thoughts or your thoughts. So that in itself is an argument, I think, for God's existence. Yes, James. What do you call a person who believes in scientism? Because I think that even our mistake is they've co-opted the word science, but they've also co-opted the word scientist. Right. I think, I think that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're already using the same terms they want you to use. Yeah. Every time you were using the word scientist yeah. and say they believe this, yeah. well, there are a large number of scientists, we've all the scientists who believe in God. Yeah. So to pull off the entire term is unfair in the argument. Say science and scientists are this. Yeah. So what is the word? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that there's, yeah, there's, it's a really important distinction. So you have, you have science, which was created by Christians, and I'll, I'll, I'll detail that if I have time in a moment. So um, science is good and right and based on evidence. Scientism is a worldview that's adopted by a lot of scientists. Does that make sense? Am I doing that right now? Yeah. You keep saying scientists believe this. No, non-Christian scientists believe that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, yes and no, because there are, there are people who are in the scientism camp who have the materialist worldview who do good science, who are good chemists and good biologists. But I'm simply saying that scientism is a worldview that is adopted by people who, some people who practice science. And there's Christians who practice science too. But when you use the word scientists and say they believe this, as in they believe 
evolutionary science. No, no, no. There are many non. There are Christian scientists who are very qualified scientists and don't believe in evolution. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I'm going I'm to go into that in detail in a moment here. But, but, I, but I, I think, I think we're, maybe we're going past each other is, is I'm, I'm, I'm basically saying that right now, um, like in our culture, in our culture, people believe that science teaches a very certain way to think about things. And I'm saying no, um, scientism is a worldview. But in our, in our culture, like if you talk to people out on the street, they would say, oh yeah, science, science tells us that evolution is true and that God doesn't exist. I would say, no, 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 it, it doesn't. Scientism teaches that. So anyways, I, we could keep quibbling about terms here, but. No, I, I'm not quibbling about terms, I'm just saying we need to have a label. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we should talk afterwards. I'm, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. Am I the only one who's confused here? Okay, I can move on. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll do it real quick. I mean, it's not complicated. So, uh, again, what is scientism? Someone tell me. Scientism is what, Emma? What's that? Yeah, it's a worldview rooted in materialism that says that all we can know, we, can, we know with our five senses, and all that exists is the material world. That's scientism. And again, today, a lot of scientists adopt scientism as a worldview. There's many scientists who also are Christians, okay? So sci like science, real science, is simply you're, you're making observations using the scientific method. And you're going wherever the evidence leads, whether it's to God or away from God. I think it points clearly to God. But science is good and right. And again, science is based on a particular method of thinking, it's based on observation, and you have non-Christians and you have Christians who are engaged in science. Yes? And this kind of goes to Brian's question about is it, is it good? We're separating kind of the, the belief, just trying to let the belief from our faith, and we're saying, oh, we don't want to separate our faith from, you know, that, that equation. Yeah. And I think that's this is where it's important. Is yeah. There are two sides to what you believe about the world, like you said, observe and what you have to presupposition. Right. Yeah. Is only the part that is the observation. Right. And that's where it gets confused. Yeah. It's important to say, hey, we're peeling these apart to show they're different. Yeah. And then both sides have this common, they look at evidence. Yeah. Anyone that goes through the world has to have a, can not just do that. Can't live life looking at evidence. Yeah. Observation, application. Yeah. And my, one of my main burdens this morning is to get everyone to understand is that, again, this is a false dichotomy of science and faith. But I'm using those terms the way the culture uses those terms right now. But most people think that, again, science is based on facts and evidence. Christianity is not. And that's a totally a false dichotomy because both camps believe things based on evidence and faith. And I would argue that there's much more evidence for the Christian worldview than for the scientism worldview. Does that make sense? And, and I'm gonna, we're out of time this morning. I'm going to spend all of next week... Um, talking about where science came from 
the scientific revolution, and how it's Christianity and Christianity alone that is responsible for the advent of modern science. And all the greatest scientists in the history of, of the last 300 years have been Christians. And that there's, that's no coincidence, because the Christian worldview leads to uh, a view of truth and reality and creation that leads to good science. All right, I got time for maybe one more question, then we've got to wrap it up. Yes, Beth Ann. Yeah. And then he had like, he listed like other reasons he had faith, like God's character, God's goodness. But you can't, I think we, we as Christians sometimes use faith in a guilty faith. Right. Because you can't pray in faith for anything God is not either said or it's not his character or um, not his goodness. Right. Yeah, very good. And, and I, I, I don't want any fideists in this room. Again, what's fideism? The idea that we should believe despite the evidence. That's not New Testament Christianity. We believe because it is good and right and reasonable to believe, and our beliefs about Christianity are based on the evidence. Evidence for the resurrection. Evidence from fulfilled prophecy. Evidence from the cosmological argument for God's existence, which is found in Psalm 19 and Romans chapter 1. So it's reasonable and right to believe because there's evidence to believe. So if that's all you take away from this, I'm a happy camper. All right, we gotta wrap it up, let me pray. Father, thank you for giving us uh, so many reasons uh, to believe that Christianity is true. Lord, I pray that, that all of us in this room would grow in our love for the scientific endeavor. Lord, thank you for giving us so much evidence from science uh, that the scriptures are trustworthy and true. Um, Father, I pray that as a result of this little mini-series in Science and Faith, uh, that we would be more faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.